Hi, this is Alina and Megan, and you're listening to Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, where we dive into all things health, wellness, and fitness. We are two certified athletic trainers, personal trainers, and nutrition coaches who met and graduated together from the University of Arkansas. And we want to do this podcast to spread our joy about treating our bodies well through nutrition, exercise, and knowledge. Today on the podcast, we welcome Mike Stella. Mike is also a certified athletic trainer and founder of Movement Underground. He has rehabilitated and reconditioned athletes from a variety of levels in sports, not only helping them return to competition, but also increasing their resilience to future injury. Mike's potent combination of movement evaluation, manual therapy, and corrective exercise help him identify and eliminate the underlying causes of pain and injury while educating athletes on the best practices in training and recovery. Mike is an expert movement evaluator and manual therapist with over a decade of experience working with high-level athletes from all across the realms. Alina and I both have the utmost respect for Mike because he is really paving the way for athletic trainers to do some really amazing things in their field. And he's just a super cool down-to-earth guy with a lot of great things to say, and he says them in a very entertaining way. So we are really excited to have him on and to share his story with you. Hopefully you guys are just as inspired as we are. Welcome, Mike. Hey, Mike. Welcome to the podcast. We're stoked to have you on. Hey, Megan. What's up, Alina? Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited to jam with you guys. We're just going to get right into this. What'd you say? Sure. Let's do it. Or or gals, rather. Badass female entrepreneurs. I love that. Thank you. We're going to get right into this because you are awesome. Your Instagram is awesome. You know a lot of people I know because we live on the same little island. And it's a small world, you know? Yeah. And And you're a certified athletic trainer. You're doing such amazing things for athletic training. So just tell us a little bit about your background and then we'll go from there. I mean, that's kind of a long story, but I have my own podcast as well. In episode one, I kind of go into a lot of detail about that story, but kind of to summarize that I was a high school lacrosse player uh, and I was fairly highly recruited lacrosse player. And that was like my whole identity was like wrapped around lacrosse and being an athlete. And I ended up blowing my knee out. I had ACL, PCL, MCL, meniscus, tibial plateau fracture. So just basically like effed, totally effed my knee. How did you do that? It was a collision injury. Basically intense. So yeah, it was kind of like foot got hung up in the ground. I got hit and the foot didn't move, but my whole body went the other way. And then I tried to get up and run and, and basically just dislocated. So I had my knee reconstructed and I had a couple of doctors tell me I would never play again. And at that point I was, you know, being heavily recruited to play D1 lacrosse. And so and lost some scholarship opportunities. And so Marist College was the last division one school that offered me any money to play lacrosse and they happened to have an athletic training program. And so at that point, yeah. So it was kind of like, I guess, serendipitous in that way. But at that point I um, was thinking about doing like business. I kind of wasn't sure. And then just going through the rehab process and my high school athletic trainer, Erin, I'll never forget her because she was just so helpful. Cause like my mom was a single mom. She didn't know what to do. You know, we had no insurance, no resources. And Erin was just there every step of the way and got us hooked up with the right doctors. And, you know, the doctor did my knee pro bono. It was actually, I was one of the first double bundle ACL procedures ever done. So I was part of like a clinical study, which got the knee operated on and done. And, but like, you know, again, we didn't at that time know what the long terms were going to be on that, but So, yeah. And so basically I was like, yeah, I could see myself doing this, like working with athletes. I thought that was really cool. And I didn't really know much about athletic training at that point. And I just switched my major to athletic training and 
was playing lacrosse and I was just never the same guy. I was never the same athlete again. I did everything everybody told me to do, but I just, you know, it was kind of like the basic template rehab protocol. And because I wasn't hurt at Marist, like the athletic training staff was kind of handcuffed. They really couldn't help me because they weren't obligated to, and it was a small D one, you know, so just re time resource wasn't there. So it's kind of left a lot to my own devices to try to get back. And I just had a bunch of injuries. I just could not stay healthy. And so that kind of set in me this whole, a lot of my obsession with movement and strength and conditioning and athletic training and manual therapy all kind of stemmed selfishly from my own issues because I just didn't understand if I had been rehabilitated, why is it that I can't achieve my prior level of performance? Like, you know, in high school as a guy that could run a four, six forty, And then I never touched that ever get close to that after that. So so switched my major and I did the athletic training thing. And then I went on to work in the SEC as well. So my first job was at the University of Florida, which was a oh. really cool experience. And I was there during the national championship years. So I got to like experience like, you know, 120,000 people, national championship football game, kind of like the Mecca or like what I call like that sports medicine in a bubble. You know, mm -hmm. so I kind of peaked really early, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, and then just continued. And then at that point, you know, and, and Megan and I were kind of talking a little bit before I had already kind of started seeing the writing on the wall as far as like career prospects, athletic training wise, you know, like I was working like hundred hour weeks. I was making $6 and 50 cents an hour. It's wild, um, right? And so <sighs> it was just like, I started to get concerned that I wouldn't be able to turn this into something that would have been, you know, enough to make a decent livelihood out of. And again, not this, not to say that I expected ever to be like a millionaire doing this. I don't think any AT goes into this expecting to be a millionaire. We do it because we love it and we do it because we want to work with athletes and help people get better. And it's a really cool and awesome job and awesome profession. So when I went to grad school, I did my master's in sports management you know, an MBA. And I just decided that I would do because GW it was George Washington University in DC. I was a grad assistant there. They were one of the few grad assistant positions that let you pick your graduate degree. So I was able to do the, the management degree and then also kind of take all my electives in the strength and conditioning department. So I kind of got to double dip there and it was really cool. So you know, fast. And I guess at that point I thought maybe, you know, I would like, Hey, maybe one day I'll leverage this sports medicine background into, I don't know, like working for somewhere in the sports industry, but maybe not being an athletic trainer, even though that's what I really loved. And so, yeah. And then I, I got back to New York and I took a job at LIU Brooklyn, which was another small mid-major D1. And I was an assistant there and I was making like 30 grand a year and I was working 80 hours a week. I was making, I was bartending in order to fund my career at that point. So I would bartend Friday nights. I would open the athletic training room at seven in the morning and I negotiated with my boss to let, have him let me go at five so I could take the train into New York City and bartend from six to five in the morning. And then I would go straight back to the athletic training room, shower, take a nap, and then prep men's soccer for their Saturday game. Oh my Isn't God. that sad? That's I would what make, you have to do as a certified athletic trainer after with getting a master's degree. And, yeah, and with I your master's. More money bartending four nights a month than I did as a full-time trainer. So you did something else to support what you actually like to do. Yeah. It's yeah. really sad. That's just where and that doesn't always have to be like that. But right. that is Yeah. I mean, again, and, and all the athletic trainers I've talked to over the years, you know, we all have kind of similar 
sob stories, I guess, in that way. And, and I, I don't mean to make it like a sob story. It's just it's reality. the reality of where I come from. And it's yeah. part of the reason I do what I do. And it's part of the reason I'm sitting where I'm sitting right now. And it, because in my twenties, I think social media can definitely paint a picture of somebody. And I think people think like I've had, like, it's all been cupcakes and rainbows and sunshine. And I think a lot of the success I have now, or I've been having now recently has been set up by the fact that in my twenties, I was just miserable and I was grinding and I was in the shit and I just kind of back against the wall. And, you know, and at that point, you know, and I quit that job just because I couldn't sustain it anymore. And I took a PT clinic job and that burnt me out for entirely different reasons because I was treated like the help, even though prior to that, I had been worked with national champions, Olympic level athletes, you know, I was responsible for multi-million dollar athletes and here I am folding towels, cleaning tables and like running people through bullshit rehab programs Uh, that I didn't believe in. And so like I was reprimanded for like discharging patients too soon. And like the whole insurance thing, just like, it just burnt me out for entirely different reasons, even though I was making more money and had a better, you know, quote unquote work-life balance. And so finally I got to the point where I was like, I know I can do this better. And I was talking to Megan earlier. And at that point, this is like the late two thousands. Like I wanted to start a business. I wanted to take that chance because at that point, if I failed, I was in exactly the same spot. Like there was no further down career wise I could go except for just completely walking away from athletic training, which again, I love. And I loved at that time, I just couldn't walk away from it after putting so much time and effort into it. And it was what I wanted to do. I just, you know, at a certain point, you just have to be able to, you know, pay your bills, you know, and live and be happy right. and do the things right. that you Not enjoy. That money makes you happy. But like, by the time yeah. I paid my rent and my student loans, I was broke. Right. You know? And so I was basically like, I'm going to go for it. And I, you know, I called the NITA, I called the state boards. I called so many different people and spoke to so many different people about it. And I got different answers from everybody. Nobody knew what the legality of it was. Nobody knew what the process would be to even do something like that. And so I basically was like, I will put the things in place to the best of my understanding of what I need to do and see what happens. And, you know, six years later, nobody's shut me down yet. So, (laughs) you know, doing it. Yeah. and, And, and again, it's been really cool to see how much it's grown. And, you know, again, I didn't even know if people would come see me as being quote unquote, just an athletic trainer, but I can tell you pretty much nobody has even asked, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They come in, I do my thing and show them a path of sustainability and how we can help them from a movement perspective and get people the results that they come for. And and all of a sudden, you know, a few years later, pretty good business rolling here, which is awesome at least survivable against the pandemic, which is great. So yeah. I'll take that as a win. But sure. yeah, that's it in a nutshell. I mean, I just come from, you know, again, a love of athletic training and sports medicine, but just from like a really dark place of like insecurity is kind of how the business started. Honestly, it was just something where it was like, if I, if I fail, I fail. And then I'll go get a, a real job somewhere and do whatever. Yeah. But at least I can go into that knowing that I gave it a shot. I mean, you know, coming from being an athletic trainer as well, we could just, I can really feel your story because of the things that I've been through with athletic training and you can love a profession, but if it's just not adding up to be what you had planned and 
you're sacrificing your life for it, then you have to make a change. So I really right. applaud you for going off on your own. Cause I know it's hard cause I've done it myself. And I think that you are paving the way for other athletic trainers that are in the same boat that are in their twenties and trying to figure it out. And now that it's become a master's, like you have to get a master's degree, but they're coming out and just making the same money, the same amount of right. low money, even when you work for like the Knicks, there just needs to be changes in the profession in, you know, from a top down approach. I, yeah, I agree with you. And that's, you know, and I was telling Megan before, like I wasn't an NATA member for seven years. I stopped paying my dues because it was like my civil disobedience. It was my way of saying, well, I don't agree with the approach, you know, like we've been barking up the same trees for 50 plus years and nothing's, we haven't seen any change. At some point you have to reevaluate the approach. Like, right. I'm sorry, but call me an athletic trainer just isn't getting the message out because nobody knows who we are. Yeah. You know? And so like the only people who know who we are is if you go and talk to a former college athlete. An athlete. Yeah. But you know, we're talking about trying to infiltrate or, or make our impact in healthcare known. That's not just athletes that there's a lot more to it than that. So what do you think the like step-by-step -step solution in your mind would be? I don't, I don't have all the answers. I don't think, but I, I think where I would start is we all have this amazing ability to connect with each other now. You know what I mean? We mm -hmm. all have and again, this is coming from my personal experience. I started my social media and producing content because at that time I knew it was important for my business and to get my message out. I had no intentions to be an athletic training advocate. I was doing it selfishly. Truth. And that's the God's honest truth. I read the Gary V stuff and I was like, you want people to buy into what you're doing. You have to give them something to buy into. And what has happened then has changed my life completely. You know, it was, I never wanted to be famous or, you know, like as most athletic trainers, we are all so comfortable of being behind the scenes. Like I don't need a pat on the back. I don't yeah. need a parade. I don't need to be rich. I don't need any of that stuff. I, you know, I want to help my people feel good about what I'm doing and make enough money to live my life and not struggle like the way my mom did, you mm -hmm. know? And so started doing the social media thing and it really changed kind of my whole perspective of athletic training because when I got the rock tape position, which came from social media. That's how they found me was on YouTube, believe it or not crazy. I know, <laughs> but here I, all of a sudden I'm the third athletic trainer ever hired by rock tape. And part of the reason that was, was because they had been trying for almost a decade to try to get into the athletic training profession to with the education and the products. And like this fits so well, but we just can't infiltrate. And not that they didn't understand athletic training. It, it was just that it's a really hard niche to break into because Unfortunately, a lot of athletic trainers are in such a shitty financial position. Sorry, I cursed. I didn't mean to do it's that. Fine. Nope. Curse all you want. They're, we're in such a shitty financial position that nobody has the means to invest in themselves. You know what I mean? Why am I going to go spend $500 on a weekend course that can make me a better clinician if the school I work for or the, you know what I mean? The only CEUs athletic trainers will do is if it's paid for. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's it's why we true. all go to conference, but nobody's willing to take that extra buck and put their money where their mouth is and invest in themselves. And that's one thing I think early on I did a lot of was whatever free money I had, whatever extra money I could scrimp and save, I went and invested it in myself because I wanted to be the best I could be. Mm -hmm. And so to answer your question directly, I think part of how we change this is like the NATA and the BOC want to raise public awareness of athletic training. That's been a mission for over a century. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. yeah. 
So, and truthfully, I feel like I've done more for the athletic training profession personally via social media Yes. than, than yeah. what they've been able to do. And it's not like, oh, I'm so awesome. It's, I put it out there and people yeah. go, oh, what's yeah. an athletic trainer? Oh, yeah. oh, you're not a PT. Oh, but so, and now what's happened is other athletic trainers are starting businesses and it's not a completely new idea that an athletic trainer can help them with their problem, with a movement problem. You know what I mean? So it, even though it grew, helped me grow my business, what it's done also indirectly, and again, it wasn't my intention, was it started opening doors for other athletic trainers to say, hey, maybe this is something I can do. And again, it was never my intention. I started it because I knew it was important for my business. And when I went to NATA that first year with Rock Tape, I wasn't an NATA member. They asked me to go. I hadn't even taught a course yet. I had been onboarded as an instructor. I hadn't taught my first course yet. And I went to New Orleans and I worked the rock tape booth. And all of a sudden there's a line of people at the booth. And I'm like, Ethan, what's going on? Why are these people waiting? And he's like, dude, they're like waiting to talk to you. And I'm, he's like, wow. hurry up. And I was completely blown away, completely blown away. Cause the, cause people, you know, these eight young ATs coming up to me, like, you're the reason I became an athletic trainer. You're the reason I stayed in the profession. Like I started my own business because you did. And it just like, was like a totally surreal like out of body, weird. I can't even really describe it. I just was like so moved and blown away by it because I didn't realize the impact. You know, like you see the numbers on the screen, oh, how many followers you have, whatever, that old bullshit. But like, I never looked at that as my value. I just, it's cool to see it grow, but you just don't, there's a person attached to that. That content resonated with people in a way that I had never intended it to resonate. And so- I rejoined on the plane. I rejoined the NATA on the plane home and I told rock tape. I was like, I'm doing this event every year. I don't care what you say. <laughs> and it, you know, so, and again, it just really inspired me. It was really cool. Yeah. I think what's great with your content too, is the bit one huge thing is you just bring awareness to what athletic training is. So maybe for our listeners, can you just give us, I mean, me and Megan obviously know because we spent years getting our degree, but can you give us a, your definition a certified athletic trainer and maybe why our name doesn't necessarily describe our job it's funny too because years ago there was a survey that came out asking if we should rename the profession yeah i voted, I voted that we should 100 percent. athletic therapist athletic therapist me too atc but it, it definitely gives people a little bit more understanding that there's a medicine healthcare component to it yep and it's like yeah but it's the tradition it's like that's great you know what I mean? That's great that there's tradition there. That doesn't devalue the tradition of athletic training. It, it simply evolves and helps us reach out to the public. You know what I mean? Move because forward, like, yeah. Right. And it just, or at least when somebody says athletic therapist, they can kind of put it together. Like search the hashtag athletic training. And what do you see? Personal training stuff. No, everybody's like, oh, I train athletes. Thinks, you know, well. They're an athletic again, trainer. It's like, yeah. Now, and so all of a sudden now we're arguing about, oh, well, because we need licensure to protect our credentials. Like, no. Like, in fact, I think, you know, like the states that are vying for licensure, I'm like, just keep it without licensure. You're better off because you have no regulation. Go make your money, do your thing. You know what I mean? I don't think it's necessarily a great thing that the government's looking at you all the time, but I'm, I'm not saying it is a good thing. I'm just kind of being facetious, but I think that's a two part thing. I think Part of athletic training to me, and I think this is what a lot of people will knock athletic training for, which is kind of like good at all, master of none. 
right? We get the evaluation part. We get the rehab part. We get the, a little bit of training. We get a little bit of modalities. We understand different areas of general medicine, emergency medicine, triaging, all these different areas of medicine. And we get it in a generalist format. Yeah. And I think that has been, when you look at conventional healthcare, healthcare looks at athletic training is not good enough because we don't have enough specialty. And this is where the athletic, you know, this is where the NATA is coming from or BOC rather of doing specialty certifications and just copying PT because, oh, we don't have enough specialty. That's why we're not highly regarded. And I think that's a mistake. I think we need to embrace being generalists because there are no more generalists in medicine anymore. You know what I mean? Like for example, two weeks ago, I had two situations in a 24 hour period here at my business. The first one, we had just finished with our last client and we had an athlete having a clonic tonic seizure right outside my door for like 10 minutes. Oh my gosh. Okay? And so nobody knew what to do, but me and Brian, we were both ATCs, were able to kind of spring into action and kind of put the EAP, the emergency action plan into place and, and orchestrate that whole scenario. Because I know about triaging, I knew about keeping them stable, I knew about recovery position, not to hold them down, clear the area out, like the things you need to do to protect an athlete or potentially somebody mm -hmm. having a seizure. Mm -hmm. 18 hours later, I had a bodybuilding athlete come to me who I hadn't seen in a long time. Extreme calf pain. My calf is killing me. What'd you do? I didn't do anything. I woke up. It started getting worse and worse over uh, the last two weeks. I've been massaging it. I've been stretching it. It keeps getting worse. And now it's migrating up behind my knee. And you're both, your faces are exactly because you're trained exactly in general medicine because mm -hmm. you're trained in general medicine. You go, Hmm, that is a squirrely shitty situation that we find ourselves in. And so what I did, I refunded his session, sent him to the emergency room and he had a 95% blockage in his tibial vein. Wow. I was migrating up. You know what I mean? Probably could have killed them. And we yeah. don't have enough of that. You know, so if, again, I'm in enough training setting, like the clinic is attached to a gym, which I think is those, a great Those problem. are the moments you just like, it was all worth it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and this guy was like, I knew something was seriously wrong. I just needed you to tell me that. And, um, Here's the thing, yeah. like with that stuff. So I was an EMT before I became an athletic trainer. My yeah. EMS background gave me a lot more emergency knowledge coming into AT school that I felt confident with all that stuff. Right. Now, I think that becoming an EMT with any profession would be, any healthcare profession would be great. I do think we learn a lot more emergency medicine than other professions, maybe even than PT. Oh, oh sure. definitely, definitely. And so, I mean- yeah, I definitely think that. Listen, they all overlap, right? All yeah. the professions, yeah. especially on the, on the rehab side, there's so much overlap. And I think a lot of other providers get hung up on if we overlap and you are doing similar things as me, then it takes away from me. And that's like that ego, mm -hmm. what about yeah. me kind of attitude. And again, I don't get a lot of hate on social media. I really don't. I get hate from older athletic trainers that are like, resistant to change because maybe they're in a position where they've made it and other providers who are resistant to the idea of if athletic training scope expands that it's going to take away from them mm -hmm. and both of those things are ridiculous because there are so many people that have what Megan and I were talking about before we started recording like chronic health issues mm -hmm. that just use some more guidance right or how many people have a who struggle with weight loss, let's say, 
you know, more people are going to spend money on weight loss shit in the next 24 hours than in the rest <laughs> of the year, right? <laughs> How many of those people have an underlying orthopedic condition that limits them from sustainable fitness because they get hurt? Mm-hmm. So how valuable is it to put a generalist, plug them into that fitness industry and say, Hey, I'm not going to just say, Oh, it hurts when you bend your knee and squat. Don't do that. Versus, Hey, let's kind of evaluate this situation and see where we can make some improvements, where are there opportunities to improve the way you move and modify your programming so that you can be sustainable and reach your goals while not destroying yourself in the process. You know, how awesome would that be? And I think, you know, athletic training is just so perfectly positioned to occupy that niche. And listen, I get cases, you know, like in Long Island, slowly kind of become the guy you go see when nobody else can get your result. And I'm really proud of that. But there are so many times that I refer people out because it's not in my wheelhouse and it's not in my scope. And I've developed this great network of other like-minded providers in the area I get that, you know, like a lot of times I'll get a, an athlete and their parent will be like, Hey, you help my son or daughter so much. Can you help me with this issue? And for example, I had one woman that had obvious pelvic floor issues. That is not my expertise. I never would claim to be, but I know enough about it to recognize it. Mm-hmm. And I said, Hey, a friend, Elizabeth, she's a physical therapist. She owns a women's health clinic. And that's all she does is pelvic floor and women's health. Like she's the right person for this job. Yes. Does that take money out of my pocket? Yeah. In the short term, but that is a direct reflection of my business that I put her in the right hands. Mm-hmm. Mike, thank you so much. I've gotten so much better. What's going to happen. I'm going to get a referral at a certain point. It yeah. all evens out at the end of the day. And I think where a lot of providers are so hung up on this idea that if athletic trainers are treating stuff that they're not treating stuff, it's just so ridiculous because if we work together, we all realize that we're all working on the same yeah. stuff anyway, maybe just from a slightly different approach. And there's plenty of meat left on the bone for all of us, you know? Yeah. And just collaboration is going to get the patient who is the person that we are actually trying to help. It's going to get right. them the best result, right. you know? So that's amazing. I'm really big on that too. I refer out like all the time. I tell my clients, look, I don't know. I haven't taken this course. I'm not sure, but this person's taking this course. And this is okay. And that's yeah. the best part. And like, and that's the thing is like, people are so, and this is like, again, when I go back to like this whole idea of like, people just can't get out of their own way. They can't get outside of their own ego. And like, it's okay to not have the answer. And it's okay to tell somebody, you know what? I don't know, but I'm going to find out for you. Or I'll find you the person that does know. Yeah, They respect respect that so much more anyway. Yeah, Yeah, they really do. I mean, that's kind of, I guess, how ATs are in general, because that is how we're trained. We're trained to refer out. So recognize and refer. Yeah. But, But here's the issue with that, is that it's so ingrained in our profession that mm-hmm. you run into the problem that Megan told again before we recorded, which is <laughs> not having the confidence to do it on your own. Yeah. And because you are so used to just referring out immediately that we don't allow ourselves the opportunity to let our skill set shine and let it show how much power it actually has. Listen, I could be bent out of shape that I can't do dry needling in New York because there's such a heavy <laughs> acupuncture group here, but I get people better or help people get better staying well within my lane as an athletic trainer. You don't need advanced fancy techniques. And that's really become the problem with rehab in general is that we just kind of all jockey for position 
to be the best provider and we're just suing each other in court and nobody wins. Like nobody wins in that scenario. And it's yeah. like for all the money that we spent lobbying against other professions, if we just invested that in athletic training. Where would we be? Yeah. You know, 100%. It's hard. Cause I know Megan's going to PT school and I'm kind of doing my own business. I, I mean, I do have my ATC and I'll always keep it, but I function using breathing, using other courses. I've taken PRI sure. and just other continuing ed and Megan's taking other courses too. And it's kind of interesting because I don't really utilize much of what I actually learned in school, but many PTs did the same thing. I, school. I mean, like, yeah. even that too is yeah. like We just the basics. Right? feel the need to say that and hold on to it because we spend so much money on it. Yeah. Probably yeah. why it's such a problem, but no, Alina, you're doing amazing things. And like, it's, it's, but crazy. it's crazy. Our class, we had 15 kids in our class. Eight were boys seven were girls only flip it was it flipped yeah okay so eight were girls seven were boys Mm -hmm. and out of our class of 15 I think three females are still doing athletic training Mm -hmm. how many of the guys two three so you're producing this class of 15 people and only five or six people every year that's a high matriculation rate that's really good which is it's crazy. How about this? My introduction to athletic training class in, at Marist College, they offered intro to athletic training to anybody as like mm-hmm. the pre-professional phase. We had two sections of 45 students take that class. Wow. I graduated. I was one of six. Wow. Yeah. That's I graduated crazy. one of six. And at the time, only three of us passed the BOC. That's interesting. Wow. You know, and, and maybe out of those six original six, one became a strength coach. One went back to PT school. So maybe two or three of us are still actually practicing. And I, and you have your own business route, but I think maybe two out of the six are practicing as traditional role athletic trainers. So one amazing thing that I really do admire about the athletic training profession is because a lot of them work in like the college setting or the professional setting where they're working with multi-million dollar athletes, like you said, is that the research, if you're someone who's interested in progressive medicine and research and like the coolest new shiny things that maybe work, maybe don't work, but Hey, we got millions of dollars. So why not just buy it? That is a really cool aspect of it. Like I remember when I was at the university of Washington, which is where I originally was introduced to athletic training and worked with their football staff who to this day are some of my favorite people ever. I mean, they just, I mean, it's UW. Their medicine yeah. is amazing. Like amazing, they have the yeah. best doctors. They have the best athletic trainers. They just, I mean, it was just, it's such a cool experience. It just makes you grow and learn as a person so much. But I just knew that the, the time, the schedule and like just the lifestyle wasn't for me. Cause like, I want right. to have kids someday and you know, all of that. So you can't, that's, yeah. yeah. And that was why, but like, there are so many things we could just bitch about. Right. But if you just think about there's good and bad things to everything. And there's right. so much, I mean, if there, you, both of you, obviously I'm taking a different route, but like both of you have, there wasn't a path. So you freaking made one, you know, and you, you're doing it. Like you're living it. You're, you're showing other people that it's possible, which I think is amazing. Right. I think the biggest thing athletic training needs to do is solve that problem though, is this, the poor matriculation. I mean, that 100%. tells you everything you need to know about the health of the profession. Mm-hmm. It's become a stepping stone profession and it, because it's a great experience and it helps every clinical person be better at what they do. Like, for example, like what other healthcare provider gets the experience of 
immediate on the field injury and evaluation, potential diagnosis, potential surgical intervention, acute rehab, subacute chronic rehab, sports specific training or strength and conditioning back to return to competition. Like name one other provider that gets to do all of that in its entirety. I'll wait. <laughs> True. You know, and so like that experience alone is so valuable. And I tell this to patients all the time. It's like, you want to get somebody to point B. Yeah, you have to know what point A looks like. And that's why we need to assess, but you need to know what the hell point B looks like. And I've taken athletes there mm -hmm. many times over the years. And there's a lot of value to that, you know, and again, not to knock PT. It's a wonderful profession as, as well. But my best experience at the University of Florida was I got to work with healthy athletes as well. So from a manual therapy perspective, I was working on the best athletes in the nation. You know, that was a number two program at the time, feeling what healthy tissue feels like, seeing what optimal function looks like every single day. And so when all of a sudden you start working with somebody who's got some dysfunction or some issues, it pops right out at you. But if you're in a other clinical setting, let's say, for example, like PT or Cairo, you only ever see people in that state of pain or dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So where's the benchmark? Where's the understanding how to, what, what are we looking, how are we looking to progress this person? What's the end goal? Yeah. And so what healthcare has done is the end goal is just get rid of your pain. Mm -hmm. And that's become the biomarker that we chase constantly, but it is the worst biomarker mm -hmm. to let us know if we're doing anything. Yeah. And what you it know? needs to be is get them interested in taking care of their body proactively because yeah. our 42% obesity rate and just prognosis and why with we're getting everything. smashed with COVID. You know, yes. COVID yes. Decimating us is because we're the most unhealthy country on the planet. Absolutely. You know, and, and again, it's, it comes back to, too, and like everybody wants to work with athletes, right? It's really funny because like in every setting I've been in, Cairo, PT, massage therapy, general medicine, orthopedic medicine, everyone wants to work with athletes. That's the goal for a lot of providers. Not everybody, but if you were to survey all young PT Cairo students, a lot of them are going to say that that's, I want to work with high-end athletes. We get this experience and it never translates into a career that, is lucrative enough to have people stay in it. And it's that's, true. And that's such a shame because at 22 years old, I worked with 14 Olympians from nine different countries. Us too, because we worked track and field at Arkansas. We worked right. with all these Olympians and it's right. like, okay. I got, to, I got to be on the field for a national championship football game in front of 120,000 Amazing. Yeah. Yep. And that's but, what everybody wants in health care, in the medicine, sports medicine profession. And we get it in spades, but it doesn't translate to value for, for us. You know, for me, the reason I didn't go directly to, I was thinking about going to University of Florida after I finished and got my master's to maybe work gymnastics or I really wanted to work gymnastics. And I just felt the program, life. Yeah. yeah, they do. And after Arkansas, it was like, it would have been great. But I felt that after working with high level athletes, working track at Arkansas, I just, I knew the lifestyle wasn't ideal. And I also felt like a lot of times the athletes were just treated like money signs. And oh, I wanted, and, oh yeah. And, that's yeah. and for sure. that really yes. stopped me from working with high level athletes. Right. So it's interesting because as an athletic trainer, you're really in the background, but you see everything. Right. Yeah. Athletes are treated as a commodity at and that it's level. Really and it's really hard simple. to watch. Yeah. It is. Eth it's ethically, to watch, like, yeah, totally. Ethically, it, it's hard. You watch an athlete get hurt and all of a sudden they lose their scholarship and people yeah. think like the NCAA is, 
you know, altruistic, oh, great organization, but it's the only sports organization that makes millions and millions of dollars per year, but doesn't have to pay their talent. Yep. You know and, what I mean? It, like, and, and don't tell me that, that. Oh, a scholarship was the scholar. Oh, they get a scholarship cost that university zero dollars to put an extra seat in that classroom. Yeah. Don't tell well, me that. it does. And also they literally have a full-time job as an athlete. And then they're expected to get this yep. degree on the side. Right. Yes. Which I mean, yes, it's, it's also like, it's free for them. Yes. But also they're investing so much of their mind their body entire- into their right. sport. And then, you know, expected to right. be in class and not fall asleep when they have eight hours of football meetings every day. Yeah. And not to mention the amount like gymnasts, they start when they're five. Right. Those girls have trained their entire life. They deserve a scholarship. Sure. Yeah. All of them do. Right. But I mean, and that's all you're going to give them. Okay. And gear. Great. I'm glad yeah. they got some clothes. And that's the athletic training thing too, is like, you know, I got paid more in gear than I got paid in like. Oh, we did. <laughs> I had so much gear. I was like, I could sell like, this. I get a barbecue stand on my like white Florida polo, just throw it away and like open a new one because I <laughs> had like a, I had, they were still in the bags and like the bottom of my closet. That's a true story. Actually. I'm not going to be crazy. Really funny. And it was barbecue um, too, of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Out, yeah. It's just a very interesting profession because you really do see the background but then you know so a lot of times it turns people off to it and that's to me what happened mm-hmm. this Although is a I similar conversation it. i have with a lot of athletic trainers you know and again like part of why what i'm most proud of recently has been idea that i'm in some way making a difference yeah and that, yeah. again that was never my intention never my intention i never you know, you guys are familiar with Alicia Pennington, who, if you're not, you need to follow her because she's another AT that's just making such huge changes in, in terms of like actual being an advocate. And the whole AT advocacy thing kind of fell into my lap because I find myself in a position that I have a voice and a platform and I have an audience that's multidisciplinary, which I'm extremely proud of. I have a platform that is also public facing and... I've been able to use that to kind of spread the good word, you know, not bitch, not moan, not keep it negative. Cause again, and I don't think our conversation is negative. It's these are the hard conversations that we need our higher ups in athletic training to have. Why are these students leaving? Why are they getting an athletic training degree and going to a different profession? Okay. Well, the solution to that is make it a master's degree minimum and force them to make a decision athletic training or not. That's what they're doing. That's the approach. Now we're going to get you so much, make you so pot committed to athletic training that you can't leave because you've already paid for that graduate degree in athletic training. And I got my master's for free. You've taken that ability away. That was one of the appealing things about athletic training was you could potentially get a graduate degree for free. Gone. Gone. That was, I think, a huge mistake. I think- I think I agree with you. Making, I got it as a master's. Percent of us have a master's anyway. Yeah. Changing. What did you change? Yeah. They just made it harder to get something that the payoff is so low value. Well, and the payoff people are going to have to pick now. Okay, I'm going to go and do whatever undergrad, bio, whatever. It doesn't matter. Get my prereqs. And I really want to work in sports medicine. So let me see AT school, PT school, Cairo school, massage therapy, or PA. Who the hell is going to pick athletic training? Who's going to pick it knowing what the salaries are, the work-life balance, all of those different things. Like I think it's shooting us in the foot. And and my fear is that our profession is on the brink of of a really bad time. The only problem is destruction because, you know, I want to cut you off. I want to let you add your point, but 
you know, I think what COVID has done for athletic training is really open a lot of people's eyes to this whole idea that, oh, you're essential when we need you to do triaging in the emergency room for COVID units, but you're non-essential because we're going to fire and furlough you as soon as sports get canceled, regardless of what you've, regardless of what you've done for the university or the institution that you work for. Soon as sports is not a thing, you are expendable. And like when I started my business, I knew that it might not work out. I took that risk. I rolled those dice knowing that I might be without a job. But when you take that $33,000 a year job at a university, you're doing it because there's some layer of security there, right? I know that paycheck's going to come because I work for a $90 million a year budget school and they get fired and furloughed during a health pandemic. You fire your healthcare workers. That's the sobering, alarming part about this profession now is that, you know, we've drawn this line in the sand where, okay, sports is our thing, you know, healthcare world, but sports isn't going to protect us because it's not just global pandemics. What if, what if there's another world war? What if there's, you know, any other thing when it push comes to shove, sports will be the first thing on the chopping block. We've seen it. Everybody saw it in 2020. Yeah. And that means that you're not, that layer of protection's not there. And if I was the president of the NAT right now, the meetings I would be having about is how do we bulletproof this profession if sports is not a thing and emerging settings is the way you do that. And it can't just be select industries that see value of athletic training as a cost savings. We need to produce revenue. We need to be a, an arm of not only getting great results and reducing healthcare costs, but we also have to be able to generate revenue institutions that we work for, period. Why are PT and Cairo valued higher? Because they produce revenue. It's not, you know, we all have education. You know what I mean? You can't line up the degrees side by side curriculum wise and say one's better than the other if everything else is created equal. So what are we doing? Why aren't we talking about this? And that's, and like, you know, obviously my recent content when it comes to athletic training has been very provocative in that way on purpose, you know, I don't mean to say when I say I've done more personally for athletic training than the BOC, I don't mean to say like, I, oh, I went out of my way and I did more. What I'm trying to illustrate is this idea that what are you doing to change these things besides maintain the status quo? Mm -hmm. I've been in ATC for 15 years. I haven't seen it change. Have you? Nope. No. Have and you talked why, to people? And that's why we're going to lose. That's why we're going to lose another great one. Yeah. You know, and again, I told you, I said, Megan, before it's like, I do not blame you at all for seeking yeah. greener pastures. I don't, because if I was in a position six years ago, before I started my business to go back to PT school, if I had the money to do it, I would have done it. It wasn't the work that I was afraid to do. It was, I already had six figures of college debt. How the hell was I ever going to take on another six figures of debt and then figure that out? You know, it just wasn't going to work for me. So it was like a do or die. You know, again, it's a conversation I've had with a lot of ATs and this is the ominous thing that nobody wants to talk about. Instead of our governing bodies having real sincere, transparent conversations with us, we get a Thanksgiving haiku and a pat on the back <laughs> for working long hours and being underpaid. You know what I mean? And they posted something on the NATA website, on the Instagram and I made a comment and because I commented it, like the comment got like 150 likes and they got more views on that post because of my provocative comment, my incendiary comment that they deleted. 
and never directly answered the question, which is what's the plan? You know, you can't leave a profession of people hanging to figure it out on their own mm-hmm. and just give them a pat on the back. It's not good enough. So there hasn't been much action with NATA with this type of stuff or has there like, what, what do you know about that? Uh, not much. It's kind of sad. I, I don't know much. And again, like, why don't we all know more? Because look at the social media for BOC and eight and NATA. They're just talking to us mm-hmm. as athletic yeah. trainers. Like we know who we are. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to one. tell me how great athletic <laughs> training is. Like I, I, I get it. I went to school. You have my money. Like I get it. Yeah. We need to use that platform for exactly the same re- way I use my platform, which is get our message out to the people who don't know. Which is yeah. everyone, unless you're which, an athlete. Which is everyone, right? 500 billion users on Instagram. Like, why isn't some of that dues going towards social media outreach programs that are not geared towards other athletic trainers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. We have to show the soccer moms how an athletic trainer early in that kid's athletic career can save them from injury and put them on a path of success and sustainability. We need to reach out to that general fitness population who goes to the gym with the intentions of getting better and improving their health, but gets sidelined by the things that they just don't know. And we have this knowledge and this resource and we squander it on people who do know about it and people who take advantage of us, right? When you say athletic trainers have to work underneath the license of a physician, you are immediately putting a glass ceiling on the entire profession. Mm -hmm. Nope. Because guess what? You're putting the keys to our safe in somebody else's hands and relinquishing that control. You know what I mean? And so who wins? The doctors win, of course, Right. You Megan burnt out at that PT clinic, you know, in that outreach role. Why? Because you are now a vehicle for referrals mm-hmm. and we can't create our own Ref- referrals that I feel like I want to be participating in, right. <laughs> to be honest. And you, and you send them off into the abyss of conventional healthcare yeah. and, and people get, they fall through the cracks and they get mismanaged and they're force fed surgery and pills and anti-inflammatories and rest and all the freaking things that don't work. And, and it's not my opinion. Like it's the science. We measured it. It's data. Like look at the research. Mm-hmm. That strategy has not worked at all. Chronic pain is going up, not down. You know what I mean? Opioid yeah. abuse is an epidemic that nobody's talking about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sidelined or the undertone of the pandemic was the fact that the makers of OxyContin were finally brought to court and they were fined $8 billion for the opioid crisis in America and forced to shut down. Nobody's, that's a pharmaceutical company finally being held accountable. But again, $8 billion is a freaking joke mm-hmm. Yeah, compared to what it's cost the, yeah. the country or the society. So again, there's just so many caveats to this. And I just think athletic training governing bodies have done an excellent job of maintaining the status quo. And what it's slowly doing is helping us dig our own grave, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, on that positive note, (laughs) (laughs) we actually have one more question for you. That's completely off topic, but actually really not because you help people move their body and their brain, hopefully every day. How do you personally move your brain, your body, or both every day, five days a week, whatever. 
you know, in the last couple of years, I got into like the FRC stuff because I just loved, you know, I've been doing like isometrics and that kind of stuff with clients for years and in programming for myself and clients for years. I just liked the system. I liked the kind of daily practice of it, of just kind of in being intentional about moving your body. So I do some of that stuff. I do like the daily routine most mornings. Some mornings I just get out of bed and go to work because, you know, I'm human just like everybody else. Um, <laughs> I'm really into like outdoor stuff. Like if I had to choose like working out or going surfing, like I'm going to go surfing. Like I would rather just move my body in like a context rich way, you know? So I do that. Like, so definitely summertime, not in the gym as much as I probably should be and doing a lot more of that kind of stuff, like surfing, kayaking, fishing, you know, hiking, camping, you know, just getting outside, being present and getting out of my element there. Mm -hmm. um, I think like kind of, again, even a tie in like earlier conversation, like in my twenties, I was a really bitter person. I was very impetuous and I had a really gnarly chip on my shoulder because I was so frustrated with where I was at career-wise watching all my friends buy houses and get married and have kids. And I'm like, I can't afford to eat today because it's the 29th and I don't get paid again for two days. And I've been broke for two weeks, you know, I'm like, just like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, this is, so I was really angry pressed because I was so hung up on living in the future of like getting out of that situation and I couldn't enjoy the present. And so what I find myself really drawn to now is things that force me to be present. And that's why I really love surfing because mm -hmm. you can't be preoccupied with anything else because even though the skill set's similar, there is no autopilot. Like, you know, like when you drive your car home from work, you just kind of like, Oh crap. I pull in my driveway and I'm like, Oh shit, I'm here. Like I didn't, <laughs> I totally zoned out. Don't remember any of the lane mergers or any of this crazy stuff that happened. I'm just in my driveway, but you can't do that when you're surfing, you have to be a hundred percent locked in and focused on what you're doing at that just forces you to be present. And so that's become like a recent, like uh, passion. In fact, I'm probably going to go surfing when we're done because the waves are good now and it's, but it's still really cold. <laughs> so yeah, that, and then again, I'm really lucky that my clinic is attached to East coast strength and performance, which is a strength and, you know, a sports performance gym, like boutique fitness facility. Who um, Warren Kelly owns, right? Yes, yes. And I went to high school with Warren. Get out of here. So yes. It's a it's world, really right? small world. Yeah, I've known Warren, Warren forever. Yeah. Warren was a former client of mine. Uh, he came to see me do like a free talk. I did it the last business I was a part of. And then we just kind of hit it off and I helped him with some neck stuff that he was dealing with after a car accident. And then when I left the last business I was a part of, I basically messaged him. He was in the process of building his newest facility. Mm -hmm. And so I was just like, Hey, I left such and such place. Like what, you know, like let's reconnect. He's like, dude, can you come here tomorrow? <laughs> and, and, and at that point, like I had kind of gotten effed over by a previous partner, business partner. And so I had thought about just kind of hanging up the clinical thing for a while and just teaching and just focusing on that. But like my heart is still in the trenches and like, you know, treating and being part of that process yeah. with athletes. And so they had a space here that they were looking to, looking to do something with. And so basically within a month I was back up and running and I've been, and so we've had a business partnership for the last three years and we've yeah. both seen tremendous growth because of that. And the best part about that scenario, and again, I, and this is my vision and goal is to put this type of facility or this type of clinic model, an athletic training model in every gym, every boutique fitness or big box gym that I can get my hands on because it's so mutually beneficial and synergistic in nature 
Whereas like I'm on, I'm in the trenches on the ground right here, right now. I can help you with most things. The things I can't help you with, I know the people who can. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I'm referring, like I get young athletes that have whatever arm issues from playing baseball too much when they were young and, and now it's catching up to them. And I get this awesome ability to just refer them into the gym and collaborate with strength and conditioning coaches on the best overall plan and just kind of attack it from multiple levels. So that part is so much fun that we, we'll get, we're just coming off probably our busiest time of year is when we get all our college athletes back for like that Christmas break. And what ends up happening is a lot of those college athletes will bring a teammate or a friend with them that's having issues. Like you got to come see Mike, you got to like figure this out. And basically we'll just put them in like in a one month, all intensive, like integrated sports medicine and strength and conditioning program. And within the first week or two, they're out of pain. And they're like, I can't believe this. It's just like, no, we were just, we've evaluated everything and we're training you for the opportunities that we found. And all of a sudden things start clicking for them and they, and they're going back to school with so much knowledge of how to take care of their body. Again, going back to what you guys were talking about before and like the education piece and how important that is. And the truth is, and again, I think everybody wants to be great at everything when it comes to sports medicine, but we have to know where even I'm a strength and conditioning coach too. Like I am, like I am certified, like I've been doing it for years as an athlete and as a clinician, but it's not what I do every day. And right. so in that scenario, Hey, you really need to build capacity. Hey, this is Warren Kelly. He owns East coast strength and performance. I, I really think you should join up with these guys and we'll collaborate in your program. And what Warren and I have done is we both discount. We have a special package right. for both businesses when you do both. So we both discount our services slightly to make it more appealing to do both. And it's been awesome, man. It's, it's really worked out so well for us both. And, you know, like even just like now, like they, he just left for the day, but like last year we did the same thing, like, Hey, big 2020. And despite what's happened into the fitness industry to, to see that a, we've both survived and B have both managed to have, you know, some degree of success despite that is a hundred percent a testament to collaborating and checking your ego at the door, doing it for the right reasons, doing what's right, not what's easy, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, sure. this is amazing. You have, you're doing so much for the profession and that. that's coming from two people who are also certified athletic trainers. So, and we know there's a lot of ATCs that listen to this. So, and you were actually requested to be on our show. No way. That's yeah. Awesome. Some ATCs messaged me like, Hey, you gotta get Mike on. I was like, all right. So, so cool. And, and here's the truth too, is like you maybe without even realizing it, you both are doing a lot for the profession too, you know, and even like Megan, you're, you know, you're going the PT route, which is awesome, but I would ask that you never forget your AT roots and continue no, to be an advocate for They're going to make me a better PT. <laughs> right. And exactly. And, yeah. I, and I think a lot of, you know, PT ATCs, that dual credential, which you're not going to start seeing, you're not going to see it anymore. It's not going to be a thing anymore, but you know, I think those people are really unique in the sense that they have this insight into both worlds. And like I said before, I don't get much hate, but when I do, it's never from a dual credentialed PTATC because they know, mm -mm. they know the value and, and they made that decision because they needed to make that decision for themselves. And I totally understand that, but you both are doing a tremendous amount as entrepreneurs, as athletic trainers, as women, like these are the things that we need to show people the way we can't tell people our value anymore based on our credential. We have to show people our value and you both are doing that right. Podcast, social media, 
making an impact in the lives of the clients and the people that you treat every day and train every day. And, you know, Alina, even though you're not quote unquote practices athletic trainer, you, there's no way that you can intertwine that with oh, yeah. on a day-to-day basis. And so you are an athletic trainer. You're just, totally. on the fr- you're on the fringe. You know, you're, you're pushing, you're practicing at the top of the license. You're pushing what you can do as an athletic trainer, as an, as an entrepreneur further. And, you know, and, and again, I said before we got on, but like, I guess my one concern about doing this as an athletic trainer was knowing that the first guy through the fence always gets the bloodiest. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, I took that leap and then got to look behind me to see an army of ATs at my back. Yeah. And that's really cool. Yeah. And I'm 100%. super grateful for that. Really. Well, we're oh, grateful it's, for it's you. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you guys. I appreciate the talk. We'll definitely have to do it again. And I'll have oh. you guys on, on my podcast too. That'd be great. For sure. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. enjoy your surfing. <laughs> I will. And a uh, happy new year. Hopefully uh, you too. 2021 treats it's... us all slightly better. <laughs> We're going to make bar it. bar is set really low. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all upside from here. Same. All right. All right, guys. Thanks, Mike. Thank you guys. Have a great day. You too. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast. Join in every week as we release new episodes. Subscribe or leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts. If you have questions or topics to cover, please email moveyourbb at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at moveyourbb.